0: since at least the Industrial Revolution in England, most of us have been conditioned to think in material terms. And if you had to assess 21st century mankind or society, at least in the West, we are by and large materialists. We believe in the tangible, the things that we can see And feel. And yet, despite our patent avowal of materialism, there is another dimension to life. Alluded to that some time ago in one of our services. There is that other dimension, a dimension which is beyond human ken, human understanding but is nevertheless as real as the material world in which we live. You look around at the the great buildings in Toronto or in any major European city. You look at these great cathedrals, pyramids, great buildings, and these are made of bricks and stones. But behind that, is invisible. It's, that is the invisible. It is the mind. All of these came from the mind. And we know that most of us, well, even scientists don't even understand the mind. We can't see it and we really don't understand it. There's another dimension. As powerful and perhaps in many cases more powerful than this physical life in which we exist so it is that in the spiritual realm, that invisible realm, we live in a world that is physical, materialist, and yet a world which is invisible. That we, while we live here, we are part and parcel of an invisible world that is far more powerful than what we see here. When we're going to look at this passage, we're going to see the invisible world, the world in which God operates at work. Before we come to that, I want to just refresh your memory as to what we have seen in this fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul is winding down. He's coming to an end in his ministry. This is the last chapter of his last epistle that we have extant on record, and these, therefore, are words that are worth pondering. You recall how he begins this chapter with this solemn charge to Timothy to preach the word, and reminded him that the reason that he must be committed to preaching the word was because people in the latter days will abandon sound doctrine. They will heap to themselves, he tells him, Teachers who will satisfy their itching ears. He reminds him that he ought to preach the gospel because God will reward faithful service. And Paul uses himself as an example of one that God had used to proclaim the gospel. And so he could say in those memorable words, words that you and I know quite often and have heard quite often paul reminded timothy that he had indeed fought the good fight he had finished the race he had kept the faith and henceforth there is laid up for him a crown of righteousness that the lord the righteous judge will give him unto all who love his appearing and so he's telling him you're to preach the word you're to be instant in season and out of season Because people are going to abandon sound doctrine, and you're to do so because God will reward you on the day of his coming. But in verses 9 to the end of the chapter, Paul speaks in very personal terms. He makes a, a litany of comment that seem to have very little practical value to us today. But within this section of very personal admonition and encouragement and requests made to Timothy, we find Paul's description of God's invisible help for his people. We see him in verse 9. He tells Timothy, be diligent, make every effort to come to me quickly. In fact, in verse 21, he goes on to say, do your utmost to come before winter and so you see this call to Timothy to come quickly it brackets this section Paul is in prison he's in Rome and awaiting execution and he's telling Timothy I want you to come and I don't want you to delay why because Paul desires the fellowship of God's people he wants to be with Timothy his son in the faith before he departs come quickly he craves Christian fellowship it's very interesting that Paul though he is a godly man does not believe he can do without Christian fellowship and so very often in our generation People will tell me, you know I, I, you know, I worship God in my own way. I said, okay, where, where do you worship? No, no, I don't go anywhere. Well, they're worshiping at home. But if you press them, if you press them, you really press them. Very hard to see whether they're worshiping. But you see, God expects Christians to congregate, to be together, to spend time together. Iron sharpens iron. Paul desires Christian fellowship. He tells them to come quickly. In verses 9 to 13, Paul explains why Timothy must come, because he is alone. And he lists, first of all, a man called Demas, a man to whom he referred in Colossians 4, verse 12, and in Philemon 24. He, he was one of Paul's companions one of the missionaries who went around with Paul in evangelizing. But now in verse 10 he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. There are some who conjecture that Demas was with Paul in Rome, and seeing the, impending death of the Apostle Paul at the hands of the Roman, perhaps to be executed, he was in fact executed by Nero, was quite afraid that he might be therefore arrested and executed with Paul, departs. But Paul says the reason for his departure, notice he doesn't say it is because he's afraid of execution, but he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That is, he forgot, someone wrote, that Christ had died for him and that he ought not to love the world or the things of the world. He had, in fact, turned back into the world. He had backslidden. Paul goes on and he talks about his companions. Crescens, he says, has departed for Galatia. Not much is known about him. Titus for Dalmatia. He had left for ministry in what is now the west coast of Bosnia-Herzegovina. This is where Titus has gone. And only, he says, Luke is with me here in Rome. He tells him that when he comes, what he must bring or whom he must bring. He says, first of all, get Mark and bring him with you. And this is the same Mark that Paul and Well, the same Mark that had departed or deserted Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, verse 13. The same Mark whom Paul and Barnabas had a very sharp disagreement over, and because of this, they departed from one another. And so so here you have Paul at the end of his life saying regarding Mark, get Mark. And bring him with you, for he's useful for me in the ministry. Sometimes in our ministries, there are failures. There are men who will make major mistakes. Here, Mark had made a major mistake in turning away. Perhaps being afraid of the calling and the difficulties of serving the Lord. But he has been restored. And Paul can say, in these last words about him, he is useful to me for ministry. You know, may God keep us from, from making major mistakes. But let us be very clear that when people make mistakes, our job is to see them restored, so that their end may be better than their beginning. And here is a case in which you see restoration has occurred. This man had deserted the apostle and yet at the end of his life he says bring him to me because he's useful for the ministry you see God is able to restore us and to use us despite our missteps and our mistakes in life he speaks of Tychicus he says I have sent to Ephesus and then he, he tells him bring the cloak that I left with Carpus Troas and Paul Had perhaps left his garment his outer garment with a christian brother in his home and has also left his old testament scriptures he says and the books the scrolls the papyrus scrolls on which old testament was written and especially the parchments these were scrolls made out of animal skin And he says, bring them. Paul is in prison, but he still wants to reflect upon the word of God. He desires Christian companionship, Christian fellowship, and he desires the word of God. Paul is giving instruction to Timothy, telling him whom and what to bring. He also lays before him a danger that he must avoid. In verse 14 he says, Alexander the copper smith did me much harm. We're not quite sure whether he's the Alexander was mentioned earlier uh, in his epistle to Timothy. We're not quite sure who this fellow is and exactly what he did to the apostle Paul. But he must have resisted the gospel, resisted Paul's ministry. Alexander the Copper Smith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his work. He did not retaliate, but he recognized that God indeed will judge him. He says, you also must be aware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. And so, so when Paul says he has done me much harm, it ought not to be seen merely that Paul has a personal beef with this fellow, that is essentially what this man did was that he opposed the proclamation of the word of God. Paul says, in verse 16, And at my defense no one stood with me, but all forsook me may not be charged against them. You see, he is like the Lord Jesus. And he is like Stephen, who would not have those who afflict him be charged. But notice in verse 7, in this section, which is fairly mundane, he's talking about the itinerary of people. He's referring to those who have deserted the faith. He's giving mundane it seems instructions about bringing a cloak and bringing his bible his old testament scripture but in the midst of this he says at my first defense no one stood with me it seems that he had a trial he had a preliminary hearing and there was no one normally in those days when someone went up to be to be tried or to went to court there would be close friends who would go along with him who would stand up to him to vouch for him They were advocates Not that they were lawyers, but that they were there to encourage him. But at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may it not be charged against them. It is here, then in verse 17, Paul begins to speak about the supernatural and the invisible help that he received from God in the midst of his loneliness there in Rome. He says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here in this quite a mundane description we see the hidden invisible resources available to Paul first of all you'd notice that in the midst of his trial and difficulties in Rome he had the invisible resource of God first of all he had the presence of God he says but the Lord he says no one at my defense stood with me they all forsook me and and of course he does not mean those that he has sent on missions. It does not mean Luke. We do not know where Luke was at that time, but Paul does not include these. He says here, however, at my defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. But he was not alone. He had the presence of the Lord. He says, but the Lord, and that is emphatic in the original, but the Lord, the Lord stood with me. Paul makes it very clear that he was not alone. He may have been deserted by his friends. He may have had no one to stand beside him and to defend him. But in reality, he was never alone. He says, the Lord stood with me. And the verb that he uses here means to stand by, to place beside, to put oneself at the disposal of another that the Lord placed himself at the disposal of the Apostle. He had with him this invisible resource of the divine presence. This same presence of God that was with his people in the Old Testament. This is a term that is used in the Old Testament of God who stood by someone. And in the Old Testament, the language of God standing by someone could be used of God coming to reveal himself. And so we read in Exodus 34, verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that is with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord in Exodus 34, verse 5. So, it could use, so for God to stand with someone in the Old Testament could refer to God revealing himself, as he did to Moses. For God to stand with someone in the Old Testament could also mean that God comes to charge them with sin, as in Psalm 50, But in the majority of instances where it is used, it is used of God coming to help. And so you see in Psalm 109 and verse 31, the psalmist could say this. Regarding the Lord, he could say, he shall stand at the right hand of the poor. To do what? To save him from those who condemn him. When Paul says that no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me, he meant the presence of the Lord was with him to help him, to encourage him. God was standing with him. The Lord stood with me. And it is this, this heavenly resources that is, that, that is responsible for Paul's successful deliverance of what God had him to do. It's, it's, it's quite amazing, you know, it's quite amazing how Paul found himself in prison in Rome because the charges that were laid against Paul were never serious charges that required death these were in fact religious questions of which Rome was normally not interested you go sort out your religious things by yourself, we're not really interested in that but Paul was the one who appealed to Caesar Right? I won't be tried I won't be tried by the Sanhedrin I won't be tried by the Jews, I appealed to Caesar And said, okay, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. When he comes to Rome, why? Because it was the intention of God that he should bring the gospel even to Nero himself. Even to the very emperor of of the empire. That Paul should preach the gospel. And he was not alone. At my defense, no one stood with me. But the Lord stood with me. Paul had, first of all, the presence of the Lord. Well, he had another invisible resource, for he not only had the presence of the Lord, he had the power of the Lord with him. You notice he says, but the Lord stood with me, so the Lord was not just there to encourage him. The Lord was there to empower him. He says, the Lord was with me and Strengthened me. And Dynamo. And Dynamo, of course, comes from the word dunamis, which means power. The Lord was with me to empower me. We see now the not only the presence of God with Paul, but the power of God. This verb then refers to God's working, which brings about effective change. This is a term that is used of God strengthening Abraham. For in Romans 4.20 we are told he did not, at his Abraham, waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. It describes this word, and dunamo describes the work of God in the life of the believer. And so Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in Philippians 4 verse 13. Or in 1 Timothy 1 12, and I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me, the same verb, who has enabled me, who has strengthened me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. It is the language that is used by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, You, therefore, my son, be strong, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Fundamentally, God is the one who empowers, because he is the God of all power. It is the God who is able to do the things that are impossible, that is there with Paul in the midst of his trial to empower or to strengthen him. It is the God who is able to call things that do not exist into existence by his very word. It is the God who manifested his power in Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the God whose power is revealed in the gospel and revealed primarily in Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is the power of God that is revealed in the gospel, that is revealed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though he was crucified, Paul says in weakness, now he lives by the power of God. It is therefore this same creative power of God, this same saving power of God, this same resurrecting power of God, it is God who has this indomitable power who comes alongside Paul and strengthens him with resurrection power. It is not merely an addition of strength to man's strength. It is God's supernatural power that comes alongside the Apostle Paul And he's faced with a hostile crowd. One that has no sympathy for the gospel. But he has invisible resources. He has the resource of God's presence and God's power. And it is the power of God that as Paul stands, he's able to give a testimony to the gospel. So he says, God, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, empowered me. And the result of this is so that the message might be preached fully through me. What happens? Paul is alone. He's faced with pagans. People who have no regard for Christ. Instead of shrinking. Instead of thinking maybe I shouldn't say anything. Let me be very careful how much I say lest I get my head chopped off. What happens? He finds himself strengthened. And Paul being given an opportunity... Before men who hold it seem his fate in his hand and he preaches the gospel fully. He takes the time allotted and he lays out the gospel and proclaims Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? How does he do this? How does he do this? Once one man against those who are opposed to him, people in authority and power. He does it not because he's naturally brave, but because he has received invisible strength, invisible power. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. But Paul not only had the invisible presence of the Lord. Not only did he have the invisible power of the Lord, but he had the invisible preservation of the Lord. Notice he says, here in verse 17, also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He was delivered from death. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul uses the term rumai. And "ruamai" means to rescue. He says the Lord delivered him. He says, and I was delivered out of the mother of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. This is a term that is used some 15 times in the New Testament. It is used, of course, in the disciples prayer when they are taught to pray and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen in Matthew 6:13, it is a term of deliverance that the bystanders of the, of the cross flung at Jesus quoting Psalm 22 verse 8 he trusted in God let him deliver him Generally, this is a term that is used to signify deliverance from peril. So Paul, for instance, could say, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead and who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10. It is use of deliverance from persecution and affliction, Paul says, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. 2 Timothy 3 verse 11. But Paul recognized that the Lord was there to preserve him, to deliver him. Not only there with his presence and power, but there to deliver or to Preserve him. And notice that the Apostle Paul says that the Lord delivered him. The Lord protected him. The Lord preserved him. Yes, from death at the hand of his judges. But he also recognizes that the Lord does not merely deliver from physical peril such as death. But the Lord delivers from spiritual death. A greater deliverance. Because it says in verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. And preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul understands that physical deliverance is only a harbinger, a sign, a foretaste of a greater deliverance, a spiritual deliverance. A deliverance from the work of Satan. He says, That the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. That is, from every machination, from every plan and plot of the evil one, the Lord will deliver him. He makes it clear that God will so deliver him and deliver him in such a perfect way that he will be preserved, he will be kept safe for his heavenly kingdom. You see, the Lord is the one who delivers us not only physically but spiritually. He could say, in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. He delivers us from eternal wrath. And so he could refer to the Thessalonians, he could say to them, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had of you, we had to you, and how you turned from God or you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul therefore is pointing out that at his trial he had with him the presence of God. God stood with him. He had the power of God. God strengthened him. And he had with him God preservation, for God rescued him, not only from death at that moment, but also delivered him from every plot of the devil, and that he went on to say, God will also deliver me from every evil work, and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. You and I need to know that God is sufficient for our needs. That God is a sufficient savior, a sufficient Lord. First of all, he reveals his sufficiency by being present with us in all our situation. So often we, we believe that we are alone. I, I read again, I think it was in Genesis 26, a story of, of Isaac and Abimelech in Gerar among the Philistines. He had gone there, he had sort of pretended that his wife, Rebecca, was his sister, following somebody's example before him. Men denying their wives. And he amassed a great wealth while he was there. So eventually Abimelech asked him to leave. He was a bit too powerful and he leaves. And everywhere he went and everywhere he opened a well, wells that were closed by the herdsmen of, of, of Gerar and Abimelech, he would go back and he would reopen these wells. But the but the herdsmen of Abimelech would fight with his herdsmen over water right. And you must understand in those days, in that part of the world, who owns a well or a stream was vastly important. Because there was no way your animals could survive if you did not have access to water. And so you see this battle over water right going on between, between Isaac's servant and Abimelech's servant. And he comes to Beersheba. Maybe he was quite discouraged. This ongoing tussle. He may not have had the military might, though he had wealth, he may not have had the military might to confront Abimelech. And he may have been very discouraged. And so we read in in, in Genesis chapter 26, he says that the Lord appeared to him and said to Isaac, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. It's the reason why the Lord tells him not to be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your descendants. He may have thought himself alone, incapable of standing up again against Abimelech and his men. But the Lord says, look, do not be afraid because I am with you. You see that refrain so often in the Old Testament. It was a refrain that undergird the life of Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. He's called Emmanuel. God with us. It is He who told the disciples, Go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. You see, we we have supernatural help, a help that is invisible. That even when friends may turn out to be fair-weather friends, when family and even those we think should be close to us have deserted us, we are never alone. Because the Lord has promised, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. pauses, Paul says, all deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. And you need to know that this very night, you are not alone. Amen. But the Lord stands with you, beside you, to assist you. He will never, ever turn away from you. Though you may not see him, be sure you have an invisible help in the Lord. And you need an invisible help. Because the battle in which you and I are engaged is not a physical battle. We do not fight against flesh and blood. But we fight against principalities and powers. Even in the heavenly places, in the supernatural realm. So we have invisible enemies. We need an invisible savior. You're not alone. You have hidden resources. You have a God who though you may not be able to see him and to touch him is nevertheless real. Paul says, all forsook me, none stood with me but the Lord stood with me. We have a sufficient Lord who stands with us, who is with us by his presence and by his spirit. We have a sufficient Lord who is with us with his power. And so the psalmist could say, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, uh, who is my strength, in him will I trust. This is the God who will not cast us off in all age. And the psalmist says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. This is the God who stands with us when we are weak. And so the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The writer declares he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall be utterly, shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, we must rely on a God who has all power, power to defend us against the enemy, power to cause us to be steadfast in the faith, power to enable us to do the will of god that he desires for us you're not alone you have with you the everlasting arm of god and it is when you are weak it is when you are at your weakest that the power of god shines the brightest therefore when i am weak it is at that point that i am strong you have a god who is sufficient with his presence Sufficient with his power. Sufficient with his protection. Because he is the deliverer. Who not only delivers us from danger. Physical danger. But delivers us from eternal danger. In the end, Paul was not saved from death. No, he was executed in Rome. But you see, he was saved through death. You see, even if the Lord were to call us home and we were to die this very night, if we are in him, we have been delivered. We have been delivered from this veil of pain, this veil of imperfection and sin. We have been delivered from eternal damnation. You see, the writer Peter says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to preserve the unjust on the punishment for the day of judgment in 2 peter 2 verse 9. you and i have invisible resources we have the presence of god we have the power of god and we have the preservation of god we have a rescuer you see the deliverer paul says shall come out of zion you see we have protection because our Lord Jesus Christ is our deliverer. In the Passover, Israel was commanded to kill the Paschal lamb and to daub the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. So on that night when the angel, the avenging angel, passes through the camp of Israel, those who were under the blood would have been protected. And we, we who are believers, we have the paschal lamb over our, the blood of the paschal lamb over our lives. We are covered under the blood of Christ. The death of Jesus Christ for our sins shelters us from the angel of death. We are delivered from eternal condemnation because Jesus Christ covers us and protects us. And so it does not matter what plan the devil may foment against us. If we are in Christ, it doesn't matter who is against us. You see, we have the Lord, our protector and our defender. And thanks be to God that our salvation rests not in our hands, but in the hands of a faithful Savior who is our deliverer and preserver. What does it mean for us? It means that we must do the same thing Paul does again in the pastoral epistles as he has done in chapter 1, as he has done In chapter 5 or chapter 6, here we see him, he bursts out into doxology. He says, to him be glory forever and ever. The one who stood with him in his power and presence and preservation, to him be glory forever and ever. To him be glory forever and ever. That's our response. Because you see, we have God's protection, God's care. God's presence, to him be glory forever. We are to burst forth in doxology to praise him. That whatever comes our way, whatever may come our way, whether life or death, we are secure in the Lord. We are secure in our sufficient Lord. To him be glory. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.